I've been <clears throat> looking into the shooting in um, Linden, Washington that occurred in May 1979. And um, that's the incident that um, caused the kid survivor um, named Artie Dufer. He was uh, Artie Baker and also um, Michael J. Arrington. So he had a, a lot of different names um, because he had a lot of uh, fake IDs because he was trained for dark pool military fighting before the age of 15 in California, as, I, as I've said before. So, um, so he was trained in California uh, when he was very young, too young really, and then he committed a crime and then in California and then he escaped and um, during the period when he escaped, he escaped twice from that same facility. Um, it was a youth correctional facility called DVI, as I've said, but so there was a period of time when he escaped and uh, it was in his 20s, mid-20s. It was 1978, 1979 and he had been doing some mercenary training with a special forces person who trained him or ex-special forces we aren't really clear about that yet and he had done that before he was arrested for the crimes in California and he had also done some of that after he escaped as well he had traveled to Spain and had and had described um that he had also done some work there so he, and he may have done other other work as well during that this time when he was escaped it's that's unclear that's something that needs to be fleshed out a little bit more about but we know that he definitely did something in um, 19, around 1977-78. Then he was up in Washington State. And just a second. Stop for a second. Okay, start again. Um, so he had um, come back to, or he had gone up to Washington State, uh, stopping also in Oregon for a while and kind of on the lam and hiding out in Washington State. And then he was called back to California by his former cellmate. This is a repeat for some of you, but, um, and then was um, called back to um, what was called Tribal Thumb, which was a, a reserve in the Humboldt County area. It was a, a group that was um, organizing to... Um, address political issues, but also to, um, they had some conflicts with the food co-ops, which I know that all just sounds really weird, so, but anyway, I just wanted to touch on that. Anyway, so I talked to this guy today, um, because I've been reading the newspaper articles about the trial, and I'm thinking about it and reflecting upon it. I've been 
sort of reading them over and over again and just kind of noticing small details. You tend to notice more details if you read things multiple times. So I was reading those and then I do a little research on the facts that I find. And then if I can contact someone who seems important, then I'll do that. And I did reach out to someone today and that was a, a former federal drug inspector who worked at the, um, uh, um, near the border, and um, near Blaine, Washington, and Linden, Washington. And the customs office where the shooting occurred was at Linden, Washington. And I learned some interesting things today. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about those things. Okay. <laughs> so so Artie had crossed the borders before. So he'd, they had gone, he and this woman, his wife, Marie, had crossed the border into Canada um, with no problem. He had crossed the border to France and then Spain and then back to the United States with no problems. And uh, and he was a, a wanted felon. So he was carrying a, a false ID, but there was all sorts of problems with his ID, so they could have stopped him at any time. I mean, there, it wasn't a... It wasn't that difficult to stop him, I don't think. I don't think it would have been. But he wasn't stopped, and... Um, and that's interesting. So in this incident, so he married Marie in, on May 4th, and then allegedly this incident happened on May 24th. So they went up to Canada. They did something up there. They came back to Linden, Washington, which is the border at the border crossing. They came back in a ragtag car, looking ragtag, drawing attention to themselves, and with nothing in their car. So no, they had uh, no no luggage, you know, nothing in their car. So it doesn't look like they were intending to come into the United States. It looks like they were intending to um, do something at the border, at the border crossing. So Artie has this training, and it's it's quite evident that he's had a lot of uh, military type training. Uh, by his language and by the details that he provides about his training and um, and he's a very thoughtful and very precise person in his language and the way that he handles himself and he is not someone who talks easily so he's very careful about his speech and So he's not a, a sloppy person in any way. He's like a high, seems to be a highly trained, disciplined person, and he was not in the proper military. So he and he had his training, you know, be, before the age of fifteen. So he, you know, he was very severely trained by this person named Cat. Person named Cat, and so he and Marie they. They come to the they come to the border with nothing in their car in a ragtag car, and 
Um, they get stopped at the border, you know, like everybody does. And this man, uh, Kenneth Gerald Ward, he's a customs inspector. He just happens to be there by himself that day. Usually there's a person who talks to the people in their cars as they come by. And then there's the, the person in the 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 customs office. And um, he would normally have been the person in the customs office. And there would normally have been a guy talking to the people as they came through in their cars, like spotting people if they looked funny. And this federal drug inspector said it was his job. He was uh, out of an office in Blaine, Washington, so a little ways away. To um, they were doing stings on on people who um, might have been trying to transport marijuana across the border, and they were actually he said very successful at at uh, seizing a lot of uh, drugs and and stopping a lot of transportation of drugs across the border. So um, that was his job. He told me today that that um, there was another man who was checking people as they came across the border and that that person noticed something was odd about Artie and Marie and brought them into the customs office. But the uh, court documents, not documents, the, the court articles on the court hearing stated that uh, Ward, Inspector Ward, was there by himself that day. So I think I think that's very interesting. So he was there by himself that day. There wasn't the usual employees around him, like the person who checked the people in the cars. Now, when Artie and Marie went into the customs office, Artie took a gun with him, allegedly a gun with him. And it was... Um, According to this federal drug inspector, it was a, a forty-five, and it said that also in the in the articles for the the court um, presentations for the trial. And while he and Marie were in the small room in the customs office. The newspaper article said that Ward was checking his ID and noticed that there were some discrepancies with the description that didn't match Artie. Now, the federal drug inspector, he said that he thought that Artie was patted down. And it was at that point that Artie shot. Um, But he later retracted that in the conversation. Now, according to the... The reason that I called this man is that it said in the news articles that he had stood over the body of Kenneth Ward right after Artie shot him with the gun. So he was there basically with, well, was just, you know, gun was smoking basically. So he was, you know, a, a major witness in uh, the trial. So I wanted to ask him if he's in that room, um, what his impression of the room was. Like, what, where was Marie standing? What was she doing? Where was you know what was Artie's demeanor like? 
you know, how are things arranged in the room? I wanted to ask those kinds of questions. But um, the inspector, he didn't remember any of that. He said that they, um, that Artie shot at he and his colleague, and so they just took off. You know, they ran away from the man shooting at them. Um, But it doesn't exactly make sense to me because according to the his testimony in the at the court he stood over um ward in that room and you stand over someone to see the shooting gun i mean that's a moment when you're in a room you're not you're not just uh running away and <clears throat> according to the the other newspaper articles i read about when Artie shot at uh, the other people um, on location there, that it was after uh, Marie opened the door, held the door open for him, which was part of the reason why she was um, also herself indicted for a crime. Um, She held the door open for Artie as he ran out, and then they were shooting and exchanging uh, gunfire. Um, I can kind of see that happening. Um, but I, I still don't see, I don't see where we're, how we get to the point of, um, you know, Artie, I mean, I don't see how Marie can be holding the door open while Artie's shooting out the door past her. I mean, it just, she, she'd have to have nerves of steel and, and she didn't really seem to be like that kind of a person. So according to her, this was all new to her. So I, um, it just doesn't make sense. Those, some of those things don't make sense. Um, I asked the inspector um, what uh, Artie and Marie looked like, and he just said they looked like hippies and that Artie had his shirt out and that he thought that was likely to cover up his gun that he was packing, and um, they had a flannel shirt on, and it was untucked. And and so, um, so so that was interesting. The... Uh, I I asked uh, the inspector, did he know Mr. Ward? And he said, yes, he knew him very well. And I asked him if he knew uh, that he was from um, Arkansas, and he said no. And I told him what I had learned about about Mr. Ward being from Arkansas and that there were different dates for his death and that that was confusing, but he didn't know about any of that. And I asked him about... Um, and then he asked me about the mercenary training because he didn't, he said he didn't know anything about that. And he didn't really, um, he said he didn't believe that because, um, why would they need kids? And then I told him some more things about it. And then he seemed to start to believe me a little bit more. And then he asked me, he said, and then he, or he said, but this is all, you know, oral commentary, right? This is all spoken you don't have any documents. And um, so I said, you know, I I have been fact-checking. So it seemed like he was trying to uh, find out what I had regarding the um, the mercenary training. I didn't say that much. Um, I only described what pretty much what I said in, in podcasts, so just the sort of top-level things. And let's see what else. The um, so he didn't, you know, he he didn't really seem to know Ward. He also 
said, um, I asked him, how did you arrive on the scene? Um, were you, were you there, um, when it occurred? And then you, um, and then you heard the shots and then you came in, but how did you, I mean, cause he wasn't, from what I understood, he wasn't always at the border. Only if they were doing a specific sting was would he be at the border. Otherwise, he was located in an office. I think it was in Blaine, Washington. Um, so that's another interesting piece of like, how did he arrive there? How did he know to be there? I mean, since Ward was by himself, how did he know to be there? And I don't, I don't really have a clear answer from him regarding that. I still am a little bit hazy on that. So. So um, he he said that uh, Marie was just a girlfriend. She wasn't a, she wasn't a, his wife. But I um, I found their marriage certificate. So um, so that's not true. But there's something really odd about that sequence of events, and um, I think it's really I think it's important to think about in that Artie's a trained mercenary again and I'm going to probably repeat myself a little bit but and they went across the border they uh, three weeks after they were married from California he's a wanted felon but he's traveled across the borders with ease without any feeling of nervousness does it repeated times multiple times they do some, they're doing something up in Canada. And the fact that they have no luggage in their car or anything in the car is indicative that they're not planning to come into the States. They're planning on just to do something at the border. And he has a, a gun on him. And uh, he goes into the customs office with a gun following Kenneth Ward, who just happens to be conveniently by himself that day. And, uh, you know, Artie is like a soldier. He would know what would happen if you take a gun into, a, like, a police station. I mean, this turn, in this way, uh, in this instance, it was a customs office, but it's like a police station. You take your loaded gun, in, you know, into that office, you take it into a police station, it's not going to have a good outcome. And they're going to, especially when they're looking at you, they're going to, you know, take your gun away from you or attempt to take it away from you. And if they have to shoot to kill you, shoot and kill you, they will. I mean, it's not something that is going to have a, a good outcome. You're going to be outnumbered. You're not going to get very far. But in this case, um, uh, already felt confident taking a gun into the customs office. And he shot Ward in the chest. He died immediately, and then he shot him again. Um, and then he ran out of the customs office. Marie held the door, and uh, there was an exchange of gunfire, and they got into their Chevy Vega and drove off south quickly and then ended up getting caught later. But... um. I think that it I think it looks like almost as if this was a contract hit it was like a contract hit on Ward 
and um, I know that I'm I'm kind of speculating here, <laughs> kind of, <laughs> I'm speculating, but I think it's interesting because because he's not because you know Ward is by himself, just this conveniently by himself, and they come back. They first they went up to Canada, oddly. And then they come back just just with the gun and just to stop at the customs. And uh, and Ward brings them into the office, and then he shoots them. And he doesn't he shoots them in like a like a a, a pretty aggressive way, like making sure he's dead, like you know, like he needed to do that, like he was supposed to do that. And that poem that Murray wrote, I mean, a man I had to kill, she said, like talking to, like from his perspective. Um, there's something about that that that, uh, that seems like that, and it, and this the inspector, the drug inspector. Another interesting thing about him is that um, just before that shooting, he was. Uh, he had asked, or he had uh, been transferred, asked to be transferred to Denver, because his job was being removed or or uh, dissolved in the Washington State area. So he was being, he had, you know, was moving to Denver. Allegedly, his job was being dissolved. I don't know. I haven't checked that out yet. Um, and and he's he's married, so he was going there with his wife. And then after the shooting, the government took away his job in Denver. So basically, he was going to go there. He still had to leave, but he was going there with out a job. So it was like, um, so that was hurting him financially. So he was harmed financially by the government. And he had to go to Denver, and uh, his wife had to be the the breadwinner that at that time. So um, I think that's also interesting timing, and he sued the he sued the U.S. government um, because of that. It's almost as if he was um, there was some retaliation against him because of something he didn't do. And um, that also is interesting if you think of it in the context of if if that was a hit on Ward, and uh, maybe the customs inspector, I mean the federal drug inspector, was supposed to uh, carry out something. Maybe Dufour was not supposed to survive, you know, and he did, and um, maybe that maybe that was a problem. So why would there be a hit on Ward? And I, I've tried to think about this a little bit. And if you think, I wondered, you know, Ward, the fact that he has these different dates of death and there's different interpretations of him depending on, you know, where the information comes from. Um, and he's from Arkansas, from a small a small town in Arkansas. And... Uh, what if he what if he didn't like um, wrongful actions? And what if you know borders are 
often wrought with wrongful actions. Um, people wanting to do things that are illegal, such as the um, things to do with uh, drugs. Like if you look at the work of Gary Webb and bringing the drugs in from Central America and Latin America across the borders into L.A., um, how the CIA, CIA um, supported and helped that to occur, and then they received funds from the sales of those drugs to fund wars. Well, if you think about that, and then that was in the 80s, um, and if you think about um, this federal drug inspector, they were doing stings of drugs coming across the border. That's what their that's what their mission was, and that there was probably money involved in that. And I don't know how that exactly worked, and if there were maybe other drugs that they were also uh, focusing on. But what if Ward didn't want to look the other way? What if there was a profit being made and he didn't want to look the other way or he didn't want to participate in that or he wouldn't or they thought he wouldn't and they um, needed him to go away or someone needed him to go away? Um, Then we have a motive for a hit. And um, I think it kind of fits to some degree. And I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm really speculating here. So, you know, this is just me and I'm just a nobody and, you know, I'm just speculating. But, I mean, it's really hard to explain it otherwise. It's hard to explain how a, a trained mercenary can come across, can freely go across the borders without any problem whatsoever. But then all of a sudden when he goes across this one... After he does this hit, you know, the, he, there's a focus on him, and he's uh, he becomes the target as well. And this uh, this kind of a targeting, um, somebody uh, when a mercenary does a a contract, and then they're kind of in the middle of it, and all of a sudden they realize that they're being set up. That is something that uh, um, Jerry Patrick Hemming, who's a who was a mercenary, did a work a lot of work in Cuba. That's something he described. He said, and I talked about that before, that there becomes a, a time in the life the life cycle of the mercenary when uh, that the work for uh, the U.S. government. And I've talked to other people who knew about uh, mercenaries who were contracted by the U.S. government that they that they have a life cycle. They had they had a life cycle, so very few survived, and then uh, they they would get to do that work for a while, and then something would happen. Now, it, sometimes it was that maybe they did something that uh, the U.S. government thought would, uh, you know, expose them or give them too much exposure, or maybe they had, they were, you know, un, unsafe or unreliable, um, so they, they took them out. So, you know, it's hard to say. Sometimes I think that from what it looks like, and especially for the younger the younger kids that were trained like this, it seems like they were, they were used as... Uh, as um, t- to carry out these crimes, and then they were um, and they were disposed of. So I mean, I think that it makes sense if I if we follow this sort of a logic um, with the killing of Ward. Um, I think it makes sense that the um, that the uh, uh, that Artie, um, a trained mercenary or dark dark pool fighter, as I like to say, dark in, who is engaged in dark pool military work that he um you know he was given a contract and that's why they went up to Canada they went up to Canada to do some work 
They came down without any luggage because they weren't going to cross into the United States for very long. They were just going to carry out the contract that he walked into that customs office with that loaded gun because he didn't think he was going to be met with any resistance because he knew or felt he knew that he was going to be supported in this, that this was just another contract that he was carrying out and um, that it was supported and he would be protected. But what happened was they, they, he carried out the contract, but then he became the target. And, uh, and they, took him, they took him down as well. And uh, I, don't know, um, I don't know about Marie's role in all of this. Um, it's really hard to tell. Um, she seems like a human being, but I, you know, I don't know. I don't know what her role in all of this is, and I've um, tried to reach out to her, but it has, I have not been successful. So it's hard to say exactly. Um, she, she was introduced to him by L, that man I, I call L, who um, who was uh, Artie's uh, cellmate at uh, the youth correctional facility, and who called him back into uh, California to do the arms. Um, and military um, tactics training uh, for that group at Tribal Thumb, and so he's always a he's always an instigator, and he has a history. Um, and his father was um, in intelligence, so he has a history, and he was always present, and always there at key moments, but never serves much prison time. I mean, he serves some, but never never that much. Um, not like Artie, and they're not, you know, Department of Homeland Security is is really um, coming down on him, and they've come, they are making it so even though he served his time, he will not be released. It's not a matter of, like, getting, you know, having parole, like you get out early or something, you get paroled. Um, he's served, his, his, his sentence has expired, so he's, you know, it's his right to be free, um, he has charges still to face in California, but he he has the right to be free here from this federal prison. Um, but he's they're not going to let that happen, and it isn't really a matter of safety for the American public either. It's um, uh, <laughs> not unless you think soldiers in uh, our, Iraq or um, the Middle East are um, are a danger to come to coming back to the States. I mean, it's kind of the same thing, a similar thing. So I, he, and he's older now, he's in his sixties. So, you know, I don't think he's a threat, um, in that sense. I think he's, I think he's a different kind of threat. I think he's a, I think he's a threat for people that are, um, could stand to be embarrassed by, by his freedom, by him, if he's free. So, um, Anyway, that's. I just wanted to talk a little bit about that. Um, the customs inspector uh, told me to call this man um, who's leading the charge, uh, basically to keep Dufour in prison with the Department of Homeland Security, that he would know things. But um, I have no need to call him. He even gave. He even called me back and gave me his phone number. And um, I'm not going to call that man. <laughs> I have no need to call him. <laughs> Um, I don't think he would share much information with me regarding what he observed that night and 
Um, so I won't be calling him probably. And the um, and then I also I left a message with the Bellingham uh, editor, the executive editor at the Bellingham Herald, because um, there had been an article that had been written on Marie um, ten years ago or so. But it's one of the most recent articles about her, sort of about her life and what she's been doing and things like that. And um, I had read it a couple times. And even just like a week ago, a little over a week ago, I, you know, if if you Googled her name, that's the first one of the first things that came up. And, you know, I'd, I'd seen it but just a little over a week ago. And uh, then I did that podcast um, um, where I have Marie's picture um, and I talk a little bit about her and about um, their arrest and, and her poem. All of a sudden, the Bellingham Herald takes that article offline. It's not there anymore. So um, the uh, federal drug inspector told me to call the writer of that article that he that uh, he probably has some things to say about Marie because, you know, he did that article. And so I, I wrote to this uh uh, the Billingham Herald um, executive editor, and I just said, you know, can you put me in touch with this guy? Because that's what I was told to do in terms of that's how you'd get a hold of him. And uh, I get an email back from her, and it's the oddest email. And it says, I forwarded your information to so-and-so, but um, but he knows no more than what you could get at the Billingham Library. Well, I didn't tell her what I, why I wanted to reach out to him. All I said was, I'm working on a project. And I had been told by this ins- former inspector that, um, that he'd be a good person to talk to. That's all I said. I didn't say why, why I was reaching out. And uh, I thought that was really interesting. Like, how does she know what he knows? And how does she know what I, what I want to talk to him about? She, she wouldn't know. So um, it seems like she's aware of things um, going on and she's playing her part. And that makes sense. I mean, Bellingham is close to the border. It's not that far away. So that makes sense. And the, the fact that her newspaper took down that article on Marie right after I uh, did, the, did that podcast uh, about Marie. So I think that that all, that all makes sense. So I wanted, to, um, I wanted to put that information out too. Um, there's a couple other things, but I think that I'll stop here for now and just let it let it go at that. It's kind of interesting, you know, sharing all this information. I'm I'm not sharing everything. I'm just sharing something. Oops, wait. Stop for a second. Okay, I'll try that again. <laughs> so it's interesting to share all of this information. I'm not sharing everything. I'm just sharing some things. Um, but I'm sharing a lot, and I try to keep people's names out of it uh, if I think it's important to do so. Um, but it isn't really the standard way to work on a project like this. Usually you keep everything back, and then you know if you make it to the end of the project, then you put something together, and you've got some kind of product at the end. So I'm not really, and I've been told this a lot, I'm talking to a lot of people lately about the project, and um, I'm not really, uh, I'm not really approaching it that way, and um, I'm doing that for a particular reason. And um, the re- part of the reason is uh, 
because I don't know how far I'm going to get with the research, and I'm not sure, um, you know, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to get to complete the project. So that's part of it, to kind of leave a bread, a bread trail. So whoever comes after me can take a look at the information. But also, um, I, I'm talking to um, the people who are involved in these situations. So um, I'm not just talking to uh, a broad, you know, an audience that's outside, but I'm also talking to those that are inside. And um, I'm letting them know what I know. And why would I do that? Well, that's a good question. I... Because there's there's something going there's something that's gone on, and um, and whatever they have to do, whatever actions they take to um, change the um, context of the information to tell the story they want told is what they're going to do. And what usually happens is, like, when something comes out, a bunch of propaganda comes out to to shift the context, and whatever story comes out first is the story that uh, is the story that uh, gets heard and sticks in people's minds. And I'm aware of that. So, if we don't do it that way, well, then it can't really be massaged in the same way can't be contextualized in the same way they have to recontextualize it over and over and over and over again they have to switch the story this way then they got to switch it that way then they got to switch it this way you know they got to say the person's a crazy person they have to say the um you know the mercenaries or you know kid mercenaries are just part of history they have to say um kid mercenaries are part of the regular military they have to say um, the Russians had mercenaries. You know, they have to do all this finagling to try to kind of uh, recontextualize a wrong. And why is it wrong? Well, if Artie Ray Defer had not received that training, he would not have been at the border with that gun, and Kenneth Ward would not be dead. So there's one example. And we have a lot more than that. So I think that, um, um, you know, so here, here's some more information, everybody. <laughs> here's some more information. And hopefully the people that aren't involved are also able to hear this information. I don't know. I don't know if hardly anybody is able to. Um, people get used to receiving information in a particular way, and that's the way they receive it. And that may work against this practice, but um, we'll see what happens. And in the end, I will have something completed as well. It isn't all over the map, but um, I think it's okay to let it be leaking out all over the map and messy and human and that you get to see how I'm struggling with the information and how I'm not articulate sometimes and how I'm... um, you know, figuring things out and then 
not figuring things out. I think that's okay. So I appreciate you staying with me. Okay, good night.